it took me a long time to sort of come to to realize for myself that that you know poppy poppy manifested inside my body you know and and my my womb was her home and and then as i write in the book which is sort of poetic but this idea that my womb became her tomb and i and i i held her in death physically and then yeah to give birth um it it was definitely for me it was one of the most sacred experiences of my life Hey friends, it's your host, Lisa Kefauver here. Welcome back to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch podcast. But just in case you're new to the show, yes, this is a podcast all about grief. My guests and I explore the expansiveness and pervasiveness of grief in our lives because let's face it, 100% of us experience grief multiple times in our lives. I certainly witnessed it over my career as a social worker and in my personal life too, with the most significant loss being my husband in 2011. But honestly, I'm in the midst of a different kind of grief this season of the podcast, as I'm currently navigating breast cancer treatment. I'm wondering where you're at. Maybe you're in a new season of grief, or just new to reckoning with old grief. Or perhaps you're hoping to learn how to better show up for the griever in your life. Regardless of the reason, I'm so glad you chose to be here with me and my guests, because together we're reimagining grief, one conversation at a time. The meaning of some words can be forever changed in the wake of loss. For my guest today, Katie Joy Duke, that word is expecting. After a whirlwind romance and engagement, Katie and her fiancé were over the moon with the discovery that they were expecting their first child together. A beautiful wedding ceremony and a fairy tale pregnancy, as Katie describes it, left them both shocked and devastated when after going into labor, they were told that their daughter Poppy, whose beautiful home had been Katie's womb for the past nine months, was dead. Katie's relationship to her daughter, to herself, to life, to the very notion of expectations is forever changed. In this episode and in her beautiful memoir, Still Breathing, Katie brings vulnerability, wisdom, heart, and insight to the much needed conversation around grieving stillbirth, something that affects one in 175 pregnancies in the U.S. I am thrilled to finally say, Katie Joy Duke, welcome to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch podcast. This has been some time in the making, hasn't it? It has. Yes. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that we finally had a chance to do this together. I'm thrilled. Well, listeners, you are really in for a treat, both uh, for our conversation today, but also when, if you haven't already, you pick up a copy of Katie's book, Still Breathing, My Journey with Love, Loss, and Reinvention. Um, It is really a beautiful, beautiful memoir story um, touching on Katie's experience of uh, stillbirth, um, also the death of her father. And what I really want to say, which I think is the truth about so many memoirs, Katie's, yours included, is that when it's written 
well, which yours, of course, was. I think the particular loss isn't as important to the reader necessarily because mm-hmm. it's really about the wisdom and the experience and what I hope we do on this show, which is just modeling the messy, nonlinear journey of grief. And so if you've experienced stillbirth, of course, or have a friend, I think this memoir is really appropriate. But even if you haven't, um, it's just there's so much wisdom and beauty in the book. So mm-hmm. I'm going to drop a link in the show notes, y'all. Thank you know you. the drill. Yes. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to talk about that. And if you happen to be watching a video clip or watching us also, um, we will also be talking about the relationship between grief and cancer because both Katie and I are experiencing uh, breast cancer, have and are experiencing breast cancer. Um, and I think we've talked off air a little bit about the lessons we learned from our other losses and how that has helped us and navigate this particular um, season of our lives. So mm-hmm. a lot a lot to cover today, but yeah, you know where we're going because you're a listener of the show. I want to start. I want to start where we start all of our episodes, and that's just inviting you to sort of share with us your earliest memories of loss. And looking back now, what do you think the adults in your life were teaching you? Um, hmm. You know, with the positives and the negatives, which many of yeah. us have about about what grief should quote unquote look like or or be expressed. You know, it's funny. I'm just going to reach for my box of tissues because I think it is very possible that I might emote. Yeah. Um, I have actually (laughs) really wanted to share this story for so long and I'm so glad that I have the opportunity to do so. Um, My first experience with grief was um, when I was uh, 20 years old, I was backpacking in Europe. I was having an amazing experience going on all these crazy, amazing, ridiculous adventures. And I was in Florence when I called my sister. I couldn't get through to any one of my family. And this was back in 2000 when there were no cell phones and there was no um, Facebook or social media and there were no text messages and you had to call collect. And so I I couldn't get through to anyone. It was so frustrating. I kept leaving voicemails on you know home phones. And I finally got a hold of my sister and I was so excited um, to tell her about this crazy experience that I'd had basically sneaking into and sleeping in the attic of a hostel the night before, <laughs> which was, <laughs> Oh, 20 year olds, you know, I know yeah. like it's a, it's a moth story, hour story for sure. But I told her this story and she said, Katie, that's so amazing. I'm so happy that you're having a, a great time. Are you sitting down? And I said, I mean, no, but I can be. And she said, well, I think you should sit down. And I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll sit down. So I sat down and she said, um, Grandmother Duke died. Mm-hmm. And Grandmother Duke was my dad's mom. And um, she was an incredibly vibrant, amazing, just an extraordinary woman who also um, was a closeted alcoholic and suffered from deep depression as it relates to her alcoholism, vice versa, you know, it just, the two things fed into one another. And I, and when she said, grandmommy Duke died, I was like, but she wasn't sick. How did she die? Mm -hmm. And then Kelly told me that she had committed suicide. She was in her seventies. And I really don't know a whole lot more than that. And, um, I know that my step grandfather, um, her second husband found her in their bedroom. Apparently she had used a gun. I mean, and I mean, it was just, so 
Kelly told me, um, because my parents had actually told her that they were going to wait until I got home from Europe, like two months later. Mm. And they, cause they didn't want me to have to experience the trauma of being alone. Kelly was older and felt at the time that that was unfair and that I needed to know. And so she took it upon herself to tell me. So that alone was traumatizing to get that information from my sister under those circumstances. But I just had to be with that information. And I ended up two days later going to Siena and going to this beautiful, gorgeous cathedral when I knew that it was going to be the memorial service for my grandmother. And I, I had timed it. I knew that, and they were scattering her ashes and I wasn't there. They were just doing it all so quickly. And I moaned, I was wailing. And, and this, this American woman came over to me in this church and asked me if I was okay. And I just looked up at her and I'm just like, I mean, I just had to say like, I'll be okay, you know, but, but I wasn't okay. And I ended up wandering through Europe for the next couple months and, you know, in just kind of a, a daze, but trying to be adventurous and present. And when I came home, we never really talked about it. Nobody ever really talked about it. Mm. I mean, nobody talked about it. They didn't even put like a marker where they tossed her ashes. Like there was literally nothing for me to come home to. And, and to make matters worse, at, at the end of that summer, my dog also died. It was just like... Like a couple of days before I was like, daddy, I can't wait to finally come home. I can't wait. And then he told me that pretty girl died. And I mean, I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. Like it, it was so much. And we never yeah. talked about her alcoholism. We never talked about her depression. We never talked about the suicide. We just never talked about it. Mm. And I ended up experiencing that fall. It was now my junior year in college, my first major depressive episode. And I really believe that it was brought about because of everything that I was asked essentially to hold on to. And I don't know, swallow, brush under the rug, you know, being who I am now, it's just like, oh my gosh, I would never do that to my child. But I mean, my parents were the generation that they are. And so yeah, we didn't really talk about it and I've had to process and forgive my grandmother and try to understand and wrap my head around the hopelessness and the loneliness that she must have been feeling. Um yeah. So yeah, that was that was my first experience. It was it was big and heavy and I and also I didn't realize how big and heavy it was cuz everybody loses their grandparents, but not usually to suicide. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, oh, thank you for just opening up about that experience um, with such a vivid detail, but also as I often share, I really think that it is these formative experiences that so few of us, as you just said, really reflect on or un take a time to realize that those experiences were a profound influence in developing our grief beliefs. And yes. in your case, you know, and sometimes we're able to see them for what they are and reject them. But for many of us, we internalize them. And it really isn't until a grief event later in our lives that we really are invited. We don't always do it mm -hmm. to come to face. What did I learn? And are those lessons serving me or not? And in your case, as you said, very vividly, though, you maybe didn't have words at 20 something. Yeah. 
you know, the, the grief beliefs of we don't talk about it. We don't reflect on it. We not only don't, you know, talk about the way the person died, but we don't even talk really about the person or carry their memory forward. Yeah. And as you said, there's just real harm for those of us. Of course, each of us need to process a loss a little bit differently. So there's not like there was one right way for them to do it, but to not acknowledge it is, um, is not a healthy strategy as, yeah. as I know, as, as you learned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think this is particularly too, true when we experience uh, the death of someone when it's death by suicide, right? Yeah. I think there's additional layers of, uh, frankly, lack of understanding about the uh, nature of depression and the nature of suicide, but also just, again, we don't talk about hard things, you know, sort of in our oh, families and our culture, shame, right? You know, the, and then shame the shame associated with that of because of, we have this misunderstanding about right, yeah, exactly, or exactly. or her inability to. She was deeply religious in the Southern Baptist Church, and so you know, I think the shame that she must have felt because of her alcoholism and her inability to actually reach out to her community for fear of being judged, or you know, just the layers and layers and yeah. layers. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, my, I, I just you know, Grandmommy, I love you, and I know your soul is at peace, and as so is my father's, you know, and it's just like. I'm just, I am grateful that I am living in a time where we get to talk about these things and and I get to break those taboos and I get to be courageous and not carry forward that history of shame and hiding and not talking about mental health and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We are definitely generational, you know, breakers. And I think again, as I may, as I often say, you know, our parents and their parents did the best they could with the lessons that they learned Yes. And in the culture and in the setting that they were in. Yeah. And thankfully, we are starting to see a turn. I've certainly yes. noticed it in the history of my work, both as a social worker, but then in more recent years in my work as a grief activist. I think we're starting to see a turn Yeah, um, where we can bring these conversations to the light. We can, you know... Um, you know, make give bring shame into the light, which we know is uh, the ways in which we can leave and discharge that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that's such an important backdrop. I think everybody's grief beliefs or early grief loss experience is such an important backdrop when we think about the profound losses that we face as an adult. And one of the things that was really, I think, moving to me and maybe relatable to so many people about your uh, loss that I'd love for you to share us a little bit about was it was sort of a both and time in your life. You Mm -hmm. had fallen in love and you had gotten engaged, right? And there was just this light and joy, Mm -hmm. um, Katie joy, there's this light (laughs) and joy in your life. Um, tell us a little bit about that time and the discovery that you were pregnant. Yeah. Um, So Eli and I had uh, been dating for about a year when we decided to move in with one another. And um, two weeks after we moved in, we had this vacation planned, which was really a big, big moment in my life to be going to Hawaii in February, like, like, like you do, you know, when you're (laughs) a successful 30 something and, you know, um, and we had talked about getting married. Eli had received my dad's blessing. So there was, you know, all that we were leading towards that, right? Like we were, they were, we were heading in the direction, 
But, you know, of course, there's always that suspense and excitement about when will it happen? And turns out I I had decided in my brain that that this trip would be the perfect opportunity for him to propose to me. <laughs> and I couldn't <laughs> stop thinking about it. <laughs> and um and it's not a spoiler alert, you know, but like in terms of of how the memoir unfolds, um Eli does end up proposing and um it was so sweet and so wonderful and I was so happy and so excited and we found out the next day that I was pregnant. I mean, <clears throat> so I went from being, how's that for ti timing? Woo! I know Eli, <laughs> he has always just been like, Oh my God, I'm so glad I finally got up the nerve to ask you, you know, cause he was so nervous that he was like, that ring was burning a hole in my pocket. But yeah, I mean, we went, yeah, we just, you'll, you know, for all you amazing listeners, you'll get to read about this in the first couple chapters of the book. But, um, you know, it's, just this beautiful moment of getting engaged and being so excited. And then the next day feeling really, really funny, uh, funky feeling for any of you mothers out there, you know what I'm talking about when you're like, huh, why do I feel weird? And then you're just like, Oh my gosh, I think I'm pregnant. And we were. And so by the time we left Kauai, we, you know, I had stopped drinking coffee. It was no more lunch meat. Like, I don't know. I mean, all these <laughs> things were just like Googling, like, what are you not supposed to do when you're pregnant? And deciding that we would keep our daughter a surprise. We wanted to keep her existence a surprise from our parents because we wanted to get married first. And so we ended up planning this beautiful wedding and and getting married um, within the, the span of my first trimester. And then told our parents that we were pregnant on our wedding night and, and it was all so romantic. I mean, fairy tale romance, you know, you just couldn't believe it. I literally <laughs> yeah. was just like, how is this my life? Like how I say it in the book, how did I get so lucky, you know, and yeah. how did yeah. I get so lucky? Yeah. The both and, as we said, yeah. and to, to, I mean, this is a fast forward lesson for those of us who've also f faced loss in the depths of our early grief, I don't think it's hard, virtually impossible for us to see it. And I think the, the best gift we can give ourselves is gives is to allow ourselves to celebrate and hold on to those beautiful moments and to not let it be an either or, you know, yes. then this bad thing happened and I don't get to sort of be with that experience, be with that sensation. So I loved even how you just told that story. I could feel very much that you were kind of right back there in that time. Yes. And you could call back that gratitude, as you said, that luckiness, that love. Yes. Um, those actually, to me, are are one of the tools that I think help us um, stay afloat when we feel like we're being pulled under. Yeah. I agree completely. And that's why I devoted the first part of the book to the love story because yeah. I mean, as I, after Poppy died, when I started journaling and writing and using um, my words as a, a, a tool to make sense and process and just feel um, it started to dawn on me. I was like, wait a second, this is a really good story. Like, are you, yeah. I can't, you know what I mean? I couldn't have written this, right? Like I couldn't have yeah. made this up if I had it, perhaps might have not been very believable, but yet it was true. So yeah. writing the story and remembering all those moments and giving myself permission, like you said, to feel the joy and the excitement because we didn't get to be engaged very long. 
I didn't, you know, yeah. I didn't get to have this. My bachelorette party, my girlfriend was like switching out the cocktails people were buying me with virgins, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. like everyone's like, you want to go yeah. hit this joint? I'm like, no, I'm, you know, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, like, no, I'm good. Yeah. Thanks. You know, like I was just like, I had to do all these things that like I couldn't, yeah. you know, I couldn't do. And, um, and so writing the, the story definitely helped me memorialize mm that beautiful time in my life that was so innocent and fresh. And also because I do now have a beautiful living child, it's a gift to her and um, her ability to someday, because she's going to be in kindergarten, but someday to read the book herself and to really go, oh my gosh, that's my mom and dad. Yeah. That's That's that love story. Yeah. Yeah. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Well, for for those folks out there who have had the experience of being pregnant, you, I adopted actually. So mm-hmm. you all, those of you, you all know that I'm a mother, but I adopted and my late husband and I just both believed in adoption. So we didn't try to conceive. So I can't say this from my own personal experience, but having many friends, obviously, who've gone through the pregnancy experience, some of who have had abortions, some of who had miscarriages, some of whom have had stillbirths. Uh, listeners might remember the episode I had with my best friend, Autumn Campbell, when silence, still, uh, stillness silences our grief, also mm-hmm. had um, a stillbirth. And this experience when we're going for women or who are going through pregnancy and for their partners, there's, of course, a lot of excitement. Sometimes there's a little bit of fear about what does this pain mean and what, you know, what does the measurements mean? How did you, how, what did your pregnancy involve? And just sort of walk us up until to the degree that you want to share details about the experience of the stillbirth. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that journey. You know, I, my, my pregnancy with Poppy involved a whole lot of blissful naivete. Like I was blissed out. I was so happy. I, I was so beautiful. I was so glowing. I, I mean, I really was the, the poster child for like what a perfect pregnancy might feel like. Um, we were so in love and newly wed and Eli was incredibly engaged and involved. And we just, like I said, you know, we just couldn't believe our fortune. And, um, the pregnancy unfolded really beautifully. I didn't have really any issues with the pregnancy. Um, we were in this really sort of hippy dippy granola pregnancy group that was really awesome making friends with other pregnant parents and, um, all first timers. So, you know, we were just really setting ourselves up for what we felt like, uh, was success as first time parents. And, um, I actually hit my due date, which was October 25th of 2015 and, uh, was super nervous. I had, like I said, we were in this group, all the babies were due in October and every single baby had been born already. So I was actually the last mm. pregnant person in the group and was super anxious. I, I was feeling anxiety. I, I was feeling nervous. Um, I really, you know, I wanted her to, I wanted to go into labor naturally. I wanted all these things. I had this great plan. And, um, I actually did end up going into labor on, her due date and labored through that night. Um, and then got the green light to go into the hospital on the morning of October 26th. And it was about 
we were probably had been in the hospital at that point for maybe about 20 minutes, half an hour, settling in, changing into a, a gown, um, meeting the, the nurse that was on staff when she told us that she was going to monitor Poppy's heartbeat to get a sense of how she was dealing with my contractions. And that was that <clears throat> fateful moment that, um, you know, so many people sadly can identify with, whether it's in the hospital or with an ultrasound tech just on a routine checkup or whatever, where you hear those awful words, I, you know, we can't find a heartbeat. Yeah. And I mean, that was just, you know, absolutely. I mean, you know, I've, it's just, it's a, just a devastating, it's, you know, I mean, I, I have, I have, I have fully healed from Poppy's death. I, I will, I will say that. And it's a, it's a bold statement. Um, Poppy is, my spirit guide. She's my, she's, she's a, it's a, she's a force of nature. She's, she lives within me. She lives without me. She lives beyond me. I mean, she, you know, I, I am so grateful to be her mother and so grateful to have had the opportunity to provide her with the warmth and, and love that I did while she was living inside of me. Um, but the process of coming to terms with um, having a child die inside of you and then giving birth to a dead baby is, I mean, you know, it's nothing that I would ever wish upon anyone else. And I mean, I, I can't say that I'm grateful for it because I, you know, but I, but I, but I, but I'm, I've accepted it. You know, I've, I've completely fully surrendered and accepted that that was what happened. Um, and it's transformed me, you know, as motherhood does, you know, motherhood will transform anyone when your baby lives or, or dies. And so I was transformed and, and Poppy, you know, became that, that opportunity for me to have life experiences that I never imagined I would ever go through. Um, and yet here I am and, and I feel, I do feel grateful for who I am now and, and, and the message that I can bring truly of hope and possibility and reinvention, um, uh, as a result of my own losses. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you, um, just being with us and carrying us through that story. Um, yeah, I've shared before on the show. I'm, I'm never here to be, you know, a voyeur or for us to, create that sort of, you know, reality TV kind of, uh, you know, in your business era. And I think the more that we can practice having really honest, sometimes difficult, sometimes messy conversations about the hard things that we experience, people feel less alone because then they can hear something in that story that says, ah, that was me, me too. too. Just, you know, and it doesn't even have to be the story of your yeah. specific experience. It's of the course. the way that my heart stopped or the way that I fast forwarded or the way that I feel that person, you know, that I carry that person inside me, whatever it is about yeah. that story. I do think there's particularly, I'd be interested for you to share if you have sort of thoughts. I think there's something though particular about the grief experience when it is a stillbirth because that death is a literal embodied death. And then you have to go through this experience that should have been celebratory in a different way than what it is. And then also the ways in which um, 
your body is responding to what you think is a life. I remember my friend talking about her aching arms and her milk still coming in. And I wonder how you navigated or were cared for either by the social workers, the nurses, Eli, in terms of the sort of the physicalness of your loss in those mm. early hours and days, mm. weeks. You know, I just want to say it's so interesting you asking me such beautiful questions and I can't help but think of, um, you know, Poppy was born almost eight years ago. And so I can talk about this from such a different place than, you know, yeah. if you had asked me like, of course. God, you know, any, any one year, two year, three year, four years, seriously, it takes so long, but I just, for all the, all the mommies and the daddies who, whose losses are so fresh, you know, it is, it is such an incredibly horrible thing to lose a child. And, at any stage, really. Um, but yes, yeah. thank you. You know, it took me, it took me a long time to sort of come to, to realize for myself that, that, you know, Poppy, Poppy manifested inside my body, you know, and, and my, my womb was her home. And, and then as I write in the book, which is sort of poetic, but this idea that my womb became her tomb. And I, and I, I held her in death physically. And then, yeah, to give birth, um, it, it was definitely, for me, it was one of the most sacred experiences of my life. Yeah. Probably aside from giving birth to my living child. And I think moms would probably agree with this, you know, like the experience of childbirth is just a truly sacred experience. It might not be magical or amazing, you know, you might hate it actually, but it's still sacred, you know? And so yeah. both and both and both yeah. and right. So yeah. Poppy, like her birth was, was beautiful. It was quiet. Um, I had my doula with yeah. me. I had my best friend, Emma with me. I had my doula's husband came, um, my midwife. I knew well from the group that we had been in the nurses. Eli was yeah. sweetly coaching me the whole time. And I was so strong. I, I think I, I think it was maybe three pushes, three contractions, three okay. pushes, and she was born. Um, and then Eli cut her umbilical cord as, as we had wanted anyways. And she was placed on my chest and, and I was, you know, we were skin to skin and we tried to do all the things that we had planned on doing, but oh, there are pictures of us from those moments that are, Oh, when I look at them, I just can't help but weep because I see this, the, um, the simultaneous joy and devastation at yeah. the same time, you know, like the both and like holding all the joy and all the sorrow in the exact same moment. I can see it on my face when I look at those pictures and, and poppies in my arms. And, um, you know, it took a, I said to my husband for months and months and months after poppy died that I wished I just could wear a t-shirt that says, yeah. My baby just died. That's why I, that's why I look like this. That's why I, that's why I'm the lady that's like screaming in the cereal aisle at the grocery yeah. store. I mean, I was nuts. I was absolutely bonkers. I was crazy. I, you know, I mean, you try to maintain a lot of that in, in private when you're at home and you're drooling on the kitchen floor, but you know, that grief spills out into the world mm -hmm. and, and, you know, crossing the street when I saw, if I was on a walk and I saw women in their strollers just bouncing along on a walk with their friend, you know, yeah. like I would cross the street. Like I couldn't, I couldn't deal. Like yeah. even 
my sister had a baby girl four months after me. And that was so unbelievably difficult for both of us. Yeah. And I had the worst time. I, I had a very hard time celebrating the arrival of my niece. I, I, you know, it was very, very difficult. Um, so yeah, it's, I mean, it'll, it'll ruin you. I, I gotta say like yeah. for all of you out there that like, you know, you just like, you, you're just, you feel stuck and you feel broken and you feel like I get it. Like I was stuck. I was yeah. broken. I was devastated. Yeah. I was, I was angry. I was, there was rage, you know, like I couldn't understand. Um, but I thankfully found ways to start processing that. I mean, and writing of course was one of the biggest ways, but eventually therapy and yeah. eventually grief retreats and changing careers. And, you know, I mean, just, I've just done, I've unraveled. I've com I completely yeah. unraveled. I let go yeah. of every bit of identity, who I thought I was, what I thought I, where I was going all, you know, I let it all go until I was just nothing, you know, until I just was just a being that existed. You're listening to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kefauver. When we come back, Katie shares how and why she's developed a forever changed relationship with the words expecting and expectations. This shift comes not only because of the stillbirth of her daughter, Poppy, but more recently her diagnosis and treatment for stage four metastatic breast cancer. Did you know this podcast is only one of the many places I get to show up in your life? You can find me on stages like in my recently released TEDx talk, Why Knowing More About Grief Can Make It Suck Less. We can be social together at Lisa Kefauver MSW and at Grief is a Sneaky Bitch. Occasionally, I get to share my thoughts with you in your inbox via my not-so-regular newsletter. But my recent diagnosis of breast cancer and my current journey through treatment has me more inspired than ever to make time to be in community with all of you. Whether that's on tour for my forthcoming book, Grief is a Sneaky Bitch, An Uncensored Guide to Navigating Loss, which drops in the spring of next year, or at in-person and online gatherings and workshops as part of retreats with friends and colleagues like Marissa Renee Lee, and so many more ways. I want to stay connected with each and every one of you. Here are three easy ways I've made to make sure you can stay up to date on chances to be in community with me and your fellow grievers. First, sign up for my not-so-regular newsletter at lisakefauver.com forward slash newsletter. That's Lisa, K-E-E-F-A-U-V-E-R.com forward slash newsletter. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And follow and engage with my posts on socials, again, at Lisa Kefauver MSW and at Grief is a Sneaky Bitch. I'm so looking forward to being in community with all of you, both on season five of the podcast coming in October 2023, in Zoom rooms and in real life rooms too. And then I started building myself back up again. And um, 
you know, into the person that I am today, which is, is transformed and continues to transform. You know, you mentioned my cancer journey, like going through a year of treatment for stage four metastatic breast cancer that had me face my own mortality in a way that I'd never been asked to before. I had to face Poppy's mortality. I had to face my father's mortality, but then I had to face my own. And that was like a whole nother bag. I can say, I literally <laughs> hear you, sister. I'm you know, sitting here interviewing you with a bald head. Yeah. That's just that reason. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I want to, there's so, thank you so much. There's so much beauty in what you just shared. I want to really like, I don't know, savor it or just really spend mm-hmm. some time here, especially for those listeners who are in that early phase of grief. And people always try to push mm-hmm. me to, to find that. And I wish I could, but I can't. Everybody's phase as early. It's weeks yeah. or it's months, yeah. or it might even be a year or two. It depends on the loss, your history, your personality, all the things. Mm-hmm. But in that early, as you said, identity sort of dissolving time when the world, you just can't understand how the world is still spinning. That's a mm-hmm. chapter in my forthcoming book. It's like, yep. I remember asking that question, like, how is the world still I spinning? I think we all how do. Are, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that feeling, but to just to just hear us when we say that's, it feels like the most abnormal thing, but it is normal. The anger is normal. The resentment is normal. The wondering if you still care about the same things that you used to care about is normal. Mm -hmm. And to just, you know, and again, as you said, like maybe don't rage, you know, try to come keep some things at home. But if you do end up raging at the ladies walking with a stroller down the street, you know what? Someday they'll go through a hard thing and they'll have some grace. So have some grace for yourself, right? Oh, you know, I, I am. Get it. I am now the definition of grace. I <laughs> yeah, like exactly because we know we've been there, done that. We've yes. screamed or resented yep. or and and to just hear this notion that um, as terrifying as it is, because that place of deep uncertainty, which is really was what happens when. You know, I use this metaphor of the manuscript of our lives being torn to shreds. So when we yes. have no this, we have no sort of roadmap or no way to navigate or no script to follow, it can feel very frightening. That's neurobiologically true, right? Because we need story to help us feel um, connected and to feel safe. And as you said, bird by bird, bit by bit, you know, one step at a time, we're doing, we're taking these steps in this transformation. And it's okay if even the idea of transformation or reinvention feels like you just want to say, fuck that. Yeah, I don't I want to transform. Reinvent. I don't, wasn't exactly. interested in reinventing myself. Exactly. Like yeah. I didn't want to be claiming no, no. widowhood I when my husband died. This. I was like, no, yeah. wife, yeah. I still want to be wife. I still Absolutely. Wife. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that's part of, you know, that is part of the anger or the frustration or the just like, excuse me, I had a plan. Like, w- yeah. what about, you know, and I, you know, I've written, I've, I had a blog, I've done so many things, you know, beyond just writing the book, but one of my blog entries um, was about the word expecting, you know, and this idea yeah. of expecting expectations, expe- you know, yeah. like what, what we expect yeah. our life to be. And, you know, when you're pregnant, everyone's yeah. like, oh, you're expecting. And you're like, oh, and now I hear that. And I'm like, oh, like it, I, I, I like, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not the coolest person. I don't really love hanging around pregnant women. I have to admit, <laughs> it all and makes you know me what? nervous. Even that is, you know, like to to 
as we move forward with our grief, which is what yeah. we do, we do not move on. I don't believe right. It's as definitely we move forward, forward. with our grief. Um, I think it's okay to claim that. Like we don't have to be the bigger person. We don't mm-hmm. have to, you know, be present in the ways that we were before. And that's okay too. And that might even change, you know, 10 years from now, you might yeah. not feel that way or you might. Oh, I don't know. It just makes me so nervous. All of them. I'm just like, yeah. like it just but I makes think, me nervous. Yeah. I just, yeah. Uh, well, and I, I think, also don't want to be the weirdo around them and be like, mm, be sure to count your kicks yeah. and do all the things, you know, I, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, that's not being the weirdo. It's being the person that you who went through this yeah, really true. profoundly hard experience. Yeah. And I think that expectation notion, I want to shift a little bit here, but I just, I, I appreciate that you brought up that word, I think can be, I might use the word triggering, of course, for people mm-hmm. who've had a miscarriage or for stillbirth. But I also think there's something really important for us to sort of grasp onto around the, the, notion of expectation. Because for me, what that brought up is I think some of the ways we experience sort of unnecessary suffering Mm -hmm. is we have particular expectations about how things should unfold, including how our grief should, should is such a dirty word, unfold. And it's not that we can't or it's not reasonable to have expectations in different domains of our life. Of course we will. Yeah. And be aware if those expectations are causing you to feel sort of stuck yes. or to feel some sensation of suffering um, because we've sort of tried to lock things in when the truth mm-hmm. is, I mean, we do not really, life is, yeah, we don't have control like we think that we do. Totally. So to just soften our relationship with expectations maybe is how yes. I would say and that. Does that I, resonate I for you? I second 100%. And that's a lot of the work that I do with the coaching that I now do mindset coaching yeah. and, and work around identity and transitions and, and reinvention. When, when you do feel stuck or overwhelmed, or you had all these ideas about how life was yeah. supposed to go. Um, yeah. So, you know, surrender and acceptance have become two mm. very important sort of, I don't know, qualities, actions, verbs, where yeah. it's like, okay, you know, I, 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 I accept that this has happened to me. I, I surrender, you know, it's this idea of letting go of what I thought was going to be or, or how mm-hmm. I, you know, I cannot dig in to this there, you know, it's like if you went rock climbing and it was like on like, a, a, you know, gravel or something, you know, like a wall that's just yeah. crumbling the more you climb yeah. into it. Right. And so, and, yeah. and I've been there, you know, where you're just like, no, I am going to hold on to this idea. I can't let this go. I can, you know, and that ends up just leaving us mostly feeling hollow or, or angry or sad or depressed or, you know, left behind. Um, where, while you watch all the, you know, the, the other people just moving on, right. And you just have this idea that everyone else is just totally okay and not suffering. And meanwhile, you're like turning into like a crusty old (laughs) snot rag, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that surrender and acceptance is frightening. Um, you know, because expectation gives us the illusion of control. Yes. You know, which makes us feel safe. And so again, these might feel too far out of reach if you're listening to the show in some 
earlier season of your grief. And so I yeah. just want to acknowledge that. Yes. And it's okay to tell us to F off if this feels too far, but maybe Absolutely. bookmark this episode and come back to oh, no. it in a few months. Oh, no. no, no, when you're done, like listen to it, but like come back. I just think, you know, there are so many things that each of us are only able to hear when we're ready to ready. hear them. For sure. You know? And sure. so I think that, and for those of you who are listening, who you are starting to sense, hmm, there is some shift that I want to make, or I feel some shift happening, then this might be the message for you. Yes. I just wanted to point out that um, these different seasons that we experience do mean that we're able to sort of hold or accept different information. And that's just how that is. You know, I want to, I, I wondered if you'd read, um, please, pretty please, yeah, a passage from your book. There was this so many beautiful, profound moments, but you know, one of the things with, I think, miscarriage, with stillbirth, with the grief over those losses is that they can be particularly invisible, um, you know, because people haven't seen the baby and now the baby is, you know, absent in their sort of visual yeah. world in their lives. And you share this beautiful passage. Um, if you have your book in front of you, it's page 94, yeah. about the time that, you know, you had told your parents about your stillbirth and about the, of course. the death of Poppy, but your dad comes over to the nursery, I think. Does this, mm -hmm. does this resonate? Yeah, they Would flew you? in. Yeah. yeah. So they, they lived okay. in Georgia and we were in Seattle. And of course they were some of the, they were the first two people to find out, you know, before Poppy was even born that she had died. Um, but they came to visit us and yeah. Yeah. So they yeah. were there. Yeah. Would you mind yeah, sharing that passage? Of course. I would love to. So, um, so yeah, so I invited my dad up to the nursery. So <clears throat> here it is. I held my arms, my arms open and spun around to face him. He stood at the threshold and his body froze. Something overtook him and he fell to his knees. It caught me off guard. This makes it all much more real. He cried into his hands. Bending down to meet him, I wrapped my arms around his broad chest. I pulled him into the tightest hug I could manage and started crying with him. Daddy, she was real. Poppy is real. We held each other until our tears subsided. Then we sat in silence and allowed the moment to sink in. I can feel her presence, Katie, he said. Me too, Daddy. She's a powerful force. My dad and I sat together on the nursery floor and I told him about the support group meeting we'd gone to the night before. Eventually, my mom came upstairs with Eli and we answered my parents' questions about our experience in the hospital. As time moved forward and I continued to grieve, I reflected on that moment with my dad. I couldn't stop thinking about his words that the nursery made it all much more real. It took me time to understand that for most people, including my own father, my loss was invisible. Because he never saw her, never met her, never held her, it was as if she never existed. Was it too hard for him to imagine what it would be like to lose a child? Are people incapable of imagining or simply too scared? Mm, so beautiful. That just gave me the chill bumps again, as it did mm. when I read it. It's one of the many pages in your book that I, excuse me, it's one of the many pages in your book that I flagged and, and dog ear. Thank you. I just think 
that really resonated for me in the conversations I've had with friends who've experienced miscarriages and um, stillbirth for that very reason, Mm -hmm. the invisibility of it. And also the, I think even in the conversations I've had with folks who've lost children who had lived into, you know, their young childhood into their teens, even I'm thinking this season about the conversation I had with Colin Campbell about his, um, the death of his two children, which is, I think there's something about the death in children, regardless, you know, of the timing that people are too scared to, Mm -hmm. um, face and, um, but we have to, we have to as friends, as family, as colleagues, um, you know, and I think, I wonder what, it always reminds me, I don't know if you watch that show Dead to Me with Christina Applegate, but yes. when the neighbor comes and says, I can't really imagine. And then she just really bluntly oh my God. tells the story of like, oh, it's just like if your husband was driving a car and blah, blah, blah. anyways, sorry. Yes. I, no, I, I love, love that. I love the use of humor to help us really grasp, um, difficult topics. That's a, oh, me a whole, too. whole nother conversation for another day. But uh, the reason I brought this up regarding this passage is I wonder with this time that you've had now in, in reflections and this distance that you've had from this experience, if there are listeners here who have friends who've experienced a stillbirth, who've experienced a miscarriage, whether it's recent by the way, or a long time ago, because it's never too late to show up for your people. There's a lot of repair in that. What do you think are there words? Are there actions? What would you have wanted to hear? What, what might you offer our listeners who might mm-hmm. want to show up and have really been too scared or uncertain about how to show up for this particular kind of loss, this yeah. loss of stillbirth? Great question. It's okay to say their name. In fact, please say their name. One of the harmful myths we have in our grief illiterate world is that if we bring up the name of the dead person, we're going to cause the griever unnecessary harm. But the fact is what most grievers want is the opportunity to be in community and carry the memory of their loved one forward through conversations and the stories we tell. When we come back, Katie shares her hard-won wisdom about the grief support she had and wanted in the wake of the stillbirth of her daughter, Poppy. I'm your host, Lisa Kefauver. You're listening to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch podcast. Hey friends, if this podcast means something to you, if it's helped you in some way, it would mean the world to me if you would do one or all of the following things, actually, if you'd like. First, follow or subscribe to the podcast. Following helps you because it means you won't miss an episode when it drops, and it helps me because then I know you won't miss it. You simply head to the Grief is a Sneaky Bitch show page on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen, and then tap the plus sign in the upper right-hand corner or click the follow button. After that, why not leave a five-star rating and write a review? You could also click the share button and send the show to a friend who might need it too. I appreciate each and every one of you for listening, subscribing, reviewing, and sharing the show. One thing I know in the um, pregnancy loss community is that we mothers love to hear our babies' names. 
We love to hear the baby's names. And most often, I don't know for sure in the miscarriage necessarily that people are naming their miscarried babies. Sometimes, sometimes not. Almost always in the stillbirth, the baby gets a name. Um, and so using the baby's name is a very, very powerful way to, to make that baby real, right? So yeah. it, it, if you have a name, then you're a thing and you're, you're yeah. a real thing, right? So it, it brings it vis- into the visible world. Exactly. Yes. And it's acknowledging yeah. the existence of the child, right? So yeah. it's not like it or the or what, you know what I mean? So I would say always feel free to use the baby's name to bring up the baby to another thing I think, and I've heard this on your podcast and so many others is that the fear that bringing up our loss is going to remind us of our loss. (laughs) I know you can't even say it with a straight. I know. So absurd. I've never forgotten that my baby died. Like I never will. I've never, you know what I mean? So for someone to say, Oh yeah, October's coming up. That's Poppy's birthday month, right? I would be like, Oh my God, I love you forever. Like come to yeah. my Christmas dinner. Like thank you for remembering. Like thank you. Um, for coming alongside me as we yes, carry Poppy's acknowledging, memory forward. Yes, that yeah. this is still something. So my, my hope amongst, um, for the, the grief supporters, right, is to set down your own discomfort for yeah. a little while. And to the spirit of the passage that I wrote about my dad, be willing to imagine. Yeah. Just step into my shoes or my maternity pants or whatever (laughs) and be with me. Be with the experience. You know, it's so funny, Lisa, because I mean, so many people are like, what should I say? What shouldn't I say? And I've had this happen over the years now with both my cancer experience, which I have a whole bunch of stuff that you should never say to a woman going through breast Mm -hmm. cancer. FYI, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be pitching that story very soon to various (laughs) media outlets. (laughs) But, um, but to, um, to the woman who has, you know, lost a child, uh, I mean, there are so many things just don't say, um, but for me in particular, I really never appreciated it when someone said, I can't even imagine what you were going yeah. through. Because I'm like, it's very really? distancing. First of it's, all, you it, can, it, it you're does. just choosing not to. And I exactly. also think it's very distancing. You know, grief is already isolating. It is. And then to say that it's like, you are an alien to me. It, it is. And it's so funny because for the person who's saying the words, they mean it, well, it, they do. And I, and I, and I, you know, I talked, I joked earlier about how like I'm the poster woman of, of grace. Like not only <laughs> do I give myself all the grace in the world, I give all the other people all the grace. Yeah. Like at this point, yeah. here, here, here's my number one tip. Don't say nothing. Don't say nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Say something, say yeah. anything. Yeah. And then when you, when you say the thing and it's cl- very clearly not the thing that you should have said because you can see it on your friend's face, then go, oh my God, did I just, should I not have said that? I'm so sorry. I'm really stumbling over my own feelings right now. Yeah. I hate that you're going through this. I'm so sorry if the thing that I just said is like the worst possible thing that I could have said, because then your friend is going to say, you know what? I love you. Thank you for being here. It's yeah. okay. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Like we've got to try. Yeah. I, say, I always say try. not showing up is saying something. Not showing it is. up is saying something. It's saying of omission, you're scary. Uh-uh. Yeah. You're, it, you know, pain right? is too difficult. I can't be with you. Yeah. I would add to that just the name the person. If you recognize yes. that you've made the, mis- you know, you've just said apologize. something that clearly apologize. And though 
be careful not to then make it all about you. You. Oh God, dear Lord. I, like how many times did I like, I mean, literally like you end up moments where you're like, you're literally holding the person in the grocery store, the, you know, and you're just like, why am I giving you a pat on the back? Like, why yeah. am I holding it? You know? And so that's, I mean, I think all grievers are going to be able to relate to that where you're just like, yeah. wait a second, why am I now holding you up? Like this just yeah. does not feel right. Um, you know, it's, it's one griever at a time. We're like, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> we're just one griever and one grief support person at a time. <laughs> I think if you can, and I'm recalling the conversation I had with Allie Bird who wrote Grief Ally. Yes, um, I, earlier I listened this to season. that one. She's yeah. amazing. She's oh amazing gosh. too. And I think, you know, one of the things that just is coming to mind for you, those of you who are listening, cause maybe you're now feeling, wait, maybe there isn't, I'm going to screw it up is like, let go of the idea that there's one right way to do it. You're going to get it perfect. You are going to say the wrong thing. Probably. Totally. I've said the wrong thing. I've said the wrong and thing. And I do this, like, this is sort of now my profession. You know? I have said the wrong thing to people exactly. who have been through loss. And, but, you, and, I realize, and you still have to show up and how you right. learn what the right things are, are attuning to mm-hmm. the person by listening and by learning from your mistakes. Just like everything else we do, you're of not going to get good at it until you do it. So just as Nike says, try just do it. Be there. Show up. Just be there. Show up. Yeah. Yeah. Do not disappear. And, you know, and also for the people that, and this is so common, especially when grief is a death, right? Because we can have so much grief that has nothing to do with death, um, is um, everyone's always initially flooded with all that sort of support. Be be that random person. person. (laughs) Be -hmm. that random person. Put that in your calendar follow up with so-and-so put it in for every three months, just put it in your calendar and let that, you know, be the person that randomly sends a, I'm thinking of you card in the mail that randomly sends a text message that maybe God forbid leaves a voicemail. I mean, who, you know, like, but just do it right. Be that person. And I promise you, you know, an angel in heaven will get its wings or something. I know. I know. Those are the people it's the keep showing up part. I say, show up, shut up and listen and keep showing up. And it's the keep showing up part that is really profound when the world is continuing to move on and you're feeling like you're carrying that alone. Yeah. Um, Katie, there's so much I want to explore with you and I'm already recognizing kind of as the time is passing. (laughs) Well, we'll, I'm sure we'll, this won't be the last time we have a conversation, but um, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about or invite you to sort of share a little bit about as you've indicated you've gone on to give birth to moxie you're a daughter who's um, in kindergarten i think i heard you just say and what is it that you think that you are um experiencing or learning sort of about this i think the term is you know having a rainbow baby Mm -hmm. about being having a living child in the wake of of having um, a child that died from stillbirth what what do you think is important for you to share for people Mm -hmm. who might be hoping that that will be the case yeah. for them or that are just newly there. What's yeah. That? Okay. Well, I'll first off, I'll just start by saying that pregnancy after loss is its own bag. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, Poppy was our first daughter. You know, we didn't have other children. Um, when you lose your first and then you're deciding courageously that you're going to try again, quote unquote, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's really hard. Get support. Um, have a therapist, go to a specialist. I mean, 
give yourself permission to be nervous. It is totally normal. The, you're going to be anxious. I was, you know, I mean, do the things that you need to do, get the blood work, the tests, whatever, like pregnancy after loss is, is really challenging. Be induced. If you need to be induced, um, get the epidural, if you need to get the epidural, I mean, do everything that you can to yeah. protect your own sanity and the life of the child growing within you, you know, talk to your husband, go to therapy. Like, I mean, I, we did all that. I'm saying all of this because yeah. I did all of this, yeah. you know, except yeah. I didn't have an epidural. I was very proud of that. Anyways, yeah. um, I was induced. So, um, that's what I would say a given. Okay. And then, you know, obviously I know that you've talked about this with other guests, um, but secondary losses. So yeah. having my baby be alive and breathing and warm and pink and poop and all the things yeah. that a real living li live baby does was completely overwhelming and wonderful and magical, like a new baby is for everyone. But what I didn't anticipate was all of the unfelt grief yeah. that I would experience holding a living baby in my arms yeah. because Poppy was my first. I could only imagine what I had lost. But when Moxie was there and living and breathing and nursing and doing all the things that babies do in my arms, there was this deep sadness mm -hmm. yeah. for an understood loss, for a loss now that I realized even <laughs> that she was real. Yeah. That she was real because, you know, I had, I had to, you know, again, we, we can't talk forever, but like, mm -hmm. Everything I had to do to move forward and to accept and, you know, and, and, and those are big, big words and, and concepts that are, that I only did with tons of help and prayer yeah. and meditation and time and therapy and time and all the things. I mean, please, yeah. I am not pretending that this was easy. Yeah. It was torture. Um, but you know, when I had that baby in my arms, it was like, Oh God, I really, did I really was a mother? I really did have a child. I really, I did really, I had to do all the postpartum recovery without a baby. I had to lose yeah. the weight without a baby. I had to, you know, I mean, I, I, I did all those things, you know, so, so give yourself grace and kindness as a new mom with, with your rainbow baby who Moxie is 100% my rainbow. I just adore her. She's such a dream come true. And, and she is such a gift. Um, but you know, I, it, it it isn't we are never replacing no. our our dead children with living ones there's there's no child that could ever take the place of another and so i am a mother to two children i have one my my heavenly spirit child um and my and my heavenly earthly child yeah. and they are both heavenly creatures and they are divine and i love them so much and you know moxie knows all about poppy in fact recently like 2 weeks ago Moxie asked me about Poppy's ashes because she's heard me talk about them before and she really wanted to see them. So I, we lit a candle and burnt some sage and yeah. sat down at my meditation table and got out Poppy's urn and we, and we, she got to hold some of Poppy's ashes and she was like, this is my sister. And I mean, like, I mean, just like, I'm just like sitting there as this grown woman, you know, who's spiritually evolved, yeah. but also just like, 
I can't believe I'm having this experience right now. Like, yeah, actually those are the bones of my child that my other child's holding in her hand. And Moxie was like, mommy, thank you so much for letting me do this. I've been waiting for so long. And I'm Mm. like, who are you? She's she's an old soul. She really is. She's such an old soul. And, And, you know, and so it's like, oh my goodness. So have those experiences. Remember your child. Talk about, uh, you know, I, I would say I am a huge proponent of talking about yeah. the children that have passed with the living ones. Yeah. Keep their spirit alive by talking about them. Pop, Moxie knows so much about Poppy. Moxie feels like Poppy is her sister. And and yeah. and it's important because Moxie isn't an only child. Like when people yeah. say, oh, you only had one? And I say, well, I only have one living child. And that usually yeah. shuts them up. <laughs> you know, people are like, oh, you know, just one and done. You know, I'm just yeah. like, hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. not actually. Not actually. Yeah. You want to hear You want to hear the story? More complicated than that. <laughs> Mama yeah. Bear will come out and get you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's what I would say about the rainbows. And um. You know, if you have the courage, have more. I was, I, I, I was like, I, when I got my one living child, I was like, okay, I think, I think we're good. Like, I don't, I, I did not feel like I was going to be capable. I also had postpartum depression after Moxie. I think that was a combination of grief and hormones and everything that I had been through at that point and, and the sleep deprivation. Cause, you know, that was another interesting thing too is that when Poppy died, I could sleep. I could sleep for 18 hours if I needed yeah. to. I could sleep yeah. for 20 hours. No, there wasn't a baby that was demanding my time. But when Moxie was born, you know, I, I, I there was the sleep de- deprivation on top of the grief, on top of the yeah. hormones, on top of being a new mom and all that sort of stuff. So just know that it's a big experience and give yourself all the time and grace and love and self-compassion, you know, yeah. Yeah. to recognize when you're having a moment of suffering and, 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 and that you're grateful, you're grateful and you're still sad and that's okay. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate you sharing that with us. And yeah, whatever it is that is your path, if you decide you don't want to have other children or whatever is your path, I think is really, I mean, grace, 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 Mm -hmm. grace, right? Self-compassion. And also to your point, um, not being afraid to find a way to resource yourself, whether that's sleep, whether that's somebody doing the grocery shopping for you, whether that's therapy, whether that's medication, whatever it is. Like resource yourself and discover, you know, the tools that served us often before a profound loss, some of them will still serve us and some of them won't. And that's okay too. And to not sort of, you know, beat up on yourself that, you know, maybe the meditation practice you once had isn't serving you in this Right. That's just the nature of things. And, um, And to recognize that at each new milestone in our life, whether it is a baby that lives if you've experienced a stillbirth or miscarriage or some other new event, we are likely to experience what some theorists call regrief, which is sort yeah. of how I think about what you t- talked about there, which is the real, not just a wave, but sort of a real developmental understanding because you now had this mm. new experience mm-hmm. to really understand what the loss was. And so to not see that as I'm taking steps backwards or I'm just, you know, like I'm not healing or I thought it was better and I'm not because we all have bought into this myth that it's somehow, you know, linear in these neat stages, no. right? It's very squiggly. No. Um, then we um, 
sort of let go, you know, we can let go of that and to just recognize that this is just another phase that we're going to move through. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Katie Joy Duke, what an absolute delight to be in conversation with you. I 100% know this is not going to be our last conversation. Oh, good. Um, listeners, please do yourself a favor. I'll drop a link in the show notes today and share it on the socials, but pick up a copy of Still Breathing, My Journey with Love, Loss, and Reinvention. And I know from Katie, because I got to listen to it, that yes. she just recorded her audiobook, which as you've heard today, she has a beautiful narrator's voice. Thank so you. if you're not a physical page turner and you're the person like me who likes to go out on walks yes. and put something in your ears or however, or curl up on your bed and listen, yes. um, you can get uh, an audio copy of the book as well. Yay. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Lisa. Oh, such an honor and such a privilege. Um, where can folks find you and follow you if they want yeah, to know more about your um, story? You can f uh, follow me at Katie Joy Duke on Instagram. Um, you can also find me at www.katiejoyduke. That's my website. Um, I'm going to be going on a three city speaking book tour this fall, starting in New York City, um, New York City, Portland, and Seattle. So if you're in any of those areas, um, you'll be able to, I'm, it's all still kind of being built out, but that all that information will be on my website. I'll also have a virtual, um, speaking event. Um, awesome. and yeah, you can grab the, uh, the audible, uh, narrated narration. It's only five hours. So, you know, it's, I'm not going to say it's an easy listen, but it's a beautiful, it's listen. beautiful. It's such a beautiful listen y'all. It's a, it's, it's beautiful. I, I, yeah. I got to brag. Like it's a, it's a really good story. Yeah. It's a it beautiful is. story. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing it with us today, sharing Poppy thank with you, us Lisa. today and Moxie and Eli and yourself. And we just so appreciate you. So Stay I tuned, so appreciate yeah. you, Lisa. Aww. I just want to say you are such a bright light. And I know I found you some, I think through a hashtag or something on Instagram. And I've been yep. following your journey now for probably a year and a half, two years. And you're yeah. just extraordinary. And I know we didn't get to talk much about breast cancer, but thank you for being yeah. the advocate that you are for being bold and open and honest and brave and visible and yeah. letting us see you as you're going through this incredibly difficult difficult process. And I can't wait to high five you and give you I a know. big hug on the other side of all this Me and too. all the things that we're going to keep learning and the ways that we're going to get to help other women out there who are going through really hard things. Oh, thank you. That means a lot to me. Yeah. It's, it's yet another growth opportunity is, going through cancer it? and doing it very visibly, but I didn't feel like I could um, navigate grief um, visibly and be a grief activist in the world and yeah. then hide away when I was going through the experience of, of breast cancer. So I'm, 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 you know, as hard as it is to show up here bald with little yeah. chicken peach fuzz on my head, I'm trying yeah. to do that. And I reserve the right to also plop on a sassy wig. Yeah, you should. If I want to. Of um, course. But yes, I love, I pre love and appreciate that. And I do um, continuing to have some more treatments coming here in the months ahead, but I'm, my book will be releasing in June 24. So I'll be on the road also doing a book tour. So I'm going to pop Good. by Seattle and we'll get yes. together and well, I'm going to be there, have a conversation together. So anyhow, well, thank you for your kind words and thanks yes. everyone for listening. Make sure you follow us both on social media, check out our websites, check out Katie's beautiful book, either audio or paperback and stay tuned to the show. Cause I've got so many more 
um, great episodes um, coming your way next season, season five, which will be dropping Yay. in October. Thanks everyone. Thanks Katie for joining. Thank you, Lisa. Well, friends, there's another episode of Grief is a Sneaky Bitch podcast in the books. Don't forget, if this episode or the show in general means something to you, head over to your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcast and leave a five-star rating and write a review. I truly would appreciate it. And if you want someone else to feel seen and held in their grief, why not share this episode with them? I also want to thank Guile Smith of Alafia Sound for creating the music for the show today and the team at Permanent Record Studios for producing it. I'm your host, Lisa Kefauver. Until next time, I see you, I hear you, and I'm holding you in my heart.